It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Happy Saturday morning. Welcome to the show. Eight minutes after six o'clock and it's 64 degrees already on Peachtree Street in Midtown Atlanta. I think this time last week we were in the high 40s, so it's a little bit warmer, but it's rainy. You went to bed with just a a consistent kind of solid rain last night, and I'm afraid in most areas in Metro Atlanta it is still raining. So it's going to be a soggy weekend, but we've got a lot here for you on 95.5 WSB. So stick with your radio all weekend long. Of course, it's a Bulldog Saturday. Really excited about that. Uh, Georgia and the Tennessee Volunteers, the tailgate show, pregame show starts at 1130, kickoff against Tennessee at 330. I'm a house divided myself. My husband is a fan of the Volunteers, and I am a Georgia Bulldog, class of 2005. So it's uh, I would say it's usually been a fun rivalry in my house, but really, like, there's no rivalry. Georgia has no problem taking care of Tennessee. But I will say they, they have a uh, undefeated record right now, Tennessee does, going into this game. So that should make things interesting. And so Dave Baker's show is going to be shortened just a little bit, but the Home Fix-It show comes up at 9 a.m. It goes off the air at 11.30 to begin our Bulldog coverage right here on your home of the dogs. But in the meantime, we're together for three hours talking about gardening, everything in the landscape, flowers, anything you want to discuss. 404-872-0750. So I wanted to catch you up a little bit on my week last week. It's just flying by now that we're this close to the end of the year. I think a lot of you are ready to see this year finally come to a close. And we're this close, so it feels like it's just really going a lot more quickly. Once Halloween hits, we almost skip over Thanksgiving and it's Christmas. Um, but with the WSB Radio Carathon, back in the summertime, we, along with you all and your help, raised almost $2 million. It was pretty darn close for our 20th Carathon, benefiting Children's Health Care of Atlanta and Aflac Cancer and Blood Disorder Center. And so I had a pretty cool incentive as a host that I was able to offer to three donors, three listeners who donated a certain amount. We could go to Atlanta Botanical Gardens together, spend the day together, have lunch, walk the gardens So uh, we did that very carefully and social distanced and masked up and everything last week. And I had a blast with Peggy and Marianne and Melissa, who walked through the botanical gardens with me. We had a really nice afternoon. The weather could not have been better. It was beautiful. And the hospitality there at ABG was fantastic. So you've still got time to see really great exhibits. And I say you've got time. You always have time. But uh, my favorite, Allison's Wonderland Reimagined. That's really cool. I've seen that twice now where they have huge floral arrangements in the shape of Alice and the characters of Alice in Wonderland, the rabbit, the Cheshire cat. And uh, that's through November 1st. And, of course, they're getting ready for the holiday lights event there at Atlanta Botanical. So as you're there this month, you'll kind of see them putting Christmas lights everywhere. And I believe that begins in November. So they've still got some time to do that. And the Orchid House was my favorite. The conservatory and the Fuqua uh, Orchid Center was just so amazing to walk in that really large greenhouse and see orchids from all over the world, dragon wing or angel wing begonias, just all kinds of fun stuff. So if you want to kind of get a taste for what's at Atlanta Botanical Gardens, go to the Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB, and you'll see a lot of pictures posted there of just a great afternoon. And take the family if you're just looking to get out of the house and, you know, going a little stir crazy. That's really something fun. And there's so many parks, state parks that are open that you can hike and go see the leaf color right now, which speaking of, um, I am so fortunate to be partnered up with the Georgia Forestry Commission. They have been so helpful. Seth and Stacia and Wendy have been so helpful for my new show 
And so we're uh, gearing up together this month, every Saturday this month, which thankfully October, we've got five Saturdays. This month is, is really long. Um, together to do Georgia Leaf Watch. So that's when the Georgia Forestry Commission puts out their weekly leaf reports and where the leaf change is the most bold and the most bright and the most colorful and the best places in Northwest and Northeast Georgia to go see that. So Seth Hawkins, who is a forester with the Georgia Forestry Commission, will be along close to the end of the 6 o'clock hour to kind of give us a little update on that. And you can always check that out yourself, too, if you just want to plan a trip. And you want to see and you miss that part of the show and you want to see where the leaf color is most brilliant for a hike or to take the family out to a park or something, check out gatrees.org and look for their fall leaf watch report and you can get that updated to you. And it's right here on Green and Growing every Saturday morning. And uh, there's a lot to talk about. It's going to be a busy show coming up at 7 o'clock. I've got Lance Walheim. That name sounds familiar to a lot of you who listen to Walter Reeves for so many years. Lance Walheim is an author and a garden expert with BioAdvanced. And BioAdvanced, they used to be Bear Products, and they've changed the name to BioAdvanced. But all kinds of herbicides, also organic solutions to things in your uh, landscape, insecticides, some fertilizers, pre-emergent, those kind of things. So he's going to be with us for an hour, 7 to 8 o'clock, to answer any of your questions. I know you've got great questions about maybe the shelf life of some of the things you've had in the garage or the greenhouse forever and ever, what chemical may be best for whatever it is you're looking to do in the landscape. So Lance is a garden expert with that at BioAdvanced and definitely taking those calls and really looking forward to those. If you've got insect infestations and want to know maybe what the best pesticide is to use, Lance is going to be able to tell us their complete line of products from 7 to 8 o'clock. And then Pike Nursery coming up at 8.30 to talk about something really fall-oriented and really timely, really a lot of fun. You know that they've got a lifetime guarantee on trees and shrubs, so we're going to be talking about apple trees. And there's so many varieties that you can get at Pike Nursery, so many varieties that do well here And this is the time to be planting those trees. So it's definitely something that you're going to want to stay tuned for at 830. 404-872-0750. Up first, Mary Lou and Tucker. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ashley. I'm desperate. (laughs) Oh, oh goodness. No pressure. I I have a Myers Zoysia established grass for about 10 years now. And this year it was affected by Pythium and take all uh, fungus. Um, The company who takes care of my chemicals, they've been wonderful, but um, they've told me that the spray for fungus only treats and protects the grass that is already not affected. So I've lost about a third of my lawn. Oh, no. And I don't know what to do this fall because I... You know, should I desatch? Should I aerate? And then what do I do in the spring? Um, do I spend money on sod for the area that's already been destroyed? Or will the sod just die? And um, I'm older now and can't probably do it all myself. But, um, I, you know, I've already lost a third of a large front lawn, and I just don't know what to do. Ooh, Mary Lou, you do. Gosh, (laughs) I wonder how that even came to being in your landscape, because that's awful. So what Mary Lou is experiencing there with the zoysia lawn, uh, pythium root or crown rot, and just what little bit I know about it, Mary Lou, it's, it's more or less a blight, a disease spreads really quickly. And when it gets to the roots, that's probably why... 
you know, it's <laughs> it's gone underground. And so that's why what you spray as far as a fungicide is only really getting on the blades of the unaffected grass um, causes crown and tissue damage and all of that. So that's, uh, I don't want to say fatal, but that's not good. So if there is a turf care expert listening who is a lot more familiar with Pythium uh, rot and blight than I am, call in and give your advice to Mary Lou, because I don't want to advise you incorrectly whether or not we have to just resod everything, start from scratch. But I am finding one of my most trusted resources during the show, Mary Lou, is the Extension website from the University of Georgia, extension.uga.edu. And they've got a wonderful, long, multiple-page write-up and report on what this blight is. And so there's a little more info here. If I were to email you the link to that, would that at least help you get started? Well, I've got that from them, and I've also had a soil sample from them. And uh, but. As far as advice on what to do, I haven't got that. And you do have just, someone that takes care of your lawn, and they're the ones that diagnosed right. it for you? Um, well, UGA did, actually. Oh, um, okay. And they said, I've got Pythium and Take-All fungus, both oh. of them. Oh, I've not heard of but, that second one. Thank you. Know, I didn't either. But um, they said, just don't put any lime on it. But that was the only suggestion. Yeah, that's, so that's based so, on what your soil test, you know, revealed. Probably. Right, exactly. So I need to know what to do with these two fungi. And, um, you know, I'm sure I should be doing something here in the fall. And then in the spring, um, do I spend money on fungus, uh, on uh, sod, or will the sod be killed? Is this if the fungus is still around in the soil. Yeah, and it's a matter of, you know, applying a fungicide at the right time, you know, to be preventative and not doing when when it's too late. And fertilizing really now for zoysia isn't going to be super beneficial, but just a general regimen to strengthen the lawn and, and fertilizing um, in the spring and early summer, you know, as it's greening back up and everything's coming out of dormancy is is ideal, um, adequate levels of nitrogen and all of that, which you should probably know what your soil already contains with the soil test. Mary Lou, I'm going to kind of leave that hanging on the end of the fishing pole for anyone who wants to take the bait and call in and give us a little bit better advice on that. 404-872-0750 for any of you turf grass experts who are familiar with this and want to give Mary Lou your best advice. I don't want to advise you incorrectly, like I said, on you know, spending a lot of money and then it just may not be. I, I don't know the, the cause for the disease. I don't know the basis of this Pythium blight. So I, I don't know if, if you just installed new sod, if it's just something that, that lives in the soil and we're going to have to do a little more maintenance before that. So Mary Lou, thank you so much for the call. I'm actually going to keep you on hold if DeMarco can get your email address for me. Um, I'll send you what I've got. We may be looking at the same thing, the publication from uh, the University of Georgia. But if someone calls later in the show and you're not listening, I'll be able to reach out to you and let you know what they said. So thanks so much, James and McDonough. You're up next. We're going to take a quick break. Check traffic and weather on WSB. Lots to do in the show today. I'm getting a little ahead of myself because I'm thinking ahead till 9 o'clock. So much to cram in here. 404-872-0750 and your calls all along the way. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. I don't think I need to tell you that it's wet outside. You may be waking up to showers in your area. So 
I'm going to increase that rain chance of 70 or 60% to 100 right now. <laughs> That's likely. But Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz is calling for scattered showers, likely at times, maybe an isolated thunderstorm possible. All of this is thanks to Hurricane Delta. And then tomorrow, 60% chance. High of around 80, though. Lows in the mid-60s. Green and growing. Green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. If you plan on getting out in the landscape today or tomorrow, it's going to be a little muddy. So these are maybe some things you can do in this upcoming week. Number one, if you're looking to refresh some flower beds, raise the plants a few inches to just ensure good drainage and apply mulch because seasonal color beds often require maintenance and just a high demand for water. And sanitize like I did by removing all of the dead or diseased foliage, stems from lilies, um, Peonies, the leaves, some of them looked bad and had dropped, so I just removed all of that. Sanitation's very important going forward. Number two, planting spring bulbs in the fall very soon. If you can't plant them as soon as late October, the beginning of November, though, you're going to be a little later than that. Store them in an area cooler than 65 degrees. Don't plant generally before November 1st, according to the University of Georgia. And as far as storage, most spring flowering bulbs require a 12 to 16-week cold period in ventilated packages, Maybe at the bottom of your refrigerator. That's where you've heard that at 40 or 50 degrees before planting. But you can check with wherever you got the bulbs from to determine whether or not they've been pre-cooled. So sometimes you do need to refrigerate. Sometimes you don't. I know there's some people think that's a myth. Some people live by it. Some don't. So just check with the supplier to determine whether or not that's necessary. And I have a special guest to tell us number three. So I'm Michael Cowan from the Dunwoody Nature Center, and I wanted to encourage you to spend some time this weekend removing the invasive plants, especially the English ivy, the common Japanese wisteria or Chinese wisteria. It kills our trees. And I don't know who puts up those signs that says English ivy kills mm -hmm. trees, but it really does. And it also, it's a snake habitat and a rat habitat. And if you would get rid of your ivy, you wouldn't have to spray for mosquitoes. Oh, and baby snakes, and I've seen baby copperheads right now. So Michael is right. I was really lucky to snag Michael Cowan, the executive director of the Dunwoody Nature Center, a couple of weeks ago when I did a garden talk there for the Spalding Garden Club. So thanks, Michael, for being a part of the show. Coming up on 6.30, so we're going to check news, weather, and traffic, and we'll be back with Walter Reeves to talk about fall weeds here on Green and Growing on WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Always fun to have Walter Reeves along on Green and Growing. We've had some really cool topics the last couple of weeks talking about fall caterpillars and venomous caterpillars and even before that, just making sure you take care of your fescue and proper timing at the end of September. So without further ado, this is the time of the show where I am joined by an expert you all know and love. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG garden guru, Walter Reeves. I love the fall weather, my absolute favorite season, and I'm very happy to have my favorite gardener alongside me this morning. Good morning, <laughs> Walter Reeves. Hey, Ashley. Good morning. So I hope you're just sitting outside enjoying coffee today. What if I said I was inside eating my cereal? Well, that, that works too. I stopped eating cereal just for you, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'll get back to when we finish. 
We're enjoying the cooler weather. We're feeling productive. We're feeling pretty motivated. Nevertheless, even though it is getting ready to get a lot colder, we still see the weeds. And that is just a gardener's nightmare. You can never get ahead of it. So that's one of the things we wanted to focus on today, what weeds we may be seeing in the landscape. And of course, we not only give you that, we give you ways to treat them and control them. I have two teenage boys, uh, Weston and Andrew. They come every week to my house to do a little yard work for me. Both of them have become weed identification experts, and both of them do a great job pulling weeds. But the first thing I teach them is how to identify the weed so we know what's want to go away and what's Wisteria's favorite plant he does not want you to pull. So some of the weeds, when you do manual removal, which I'm always a big fan of, identification is important too, A, so that you know you're, you're pulling the right thing, but B, you know how to pull it. Like a dandelion, for example, you really have to get deep and get your fingernails around it. And when you pull it out, it's almost got like a taproot, like a long taproot. Yeah, it does. It versus does. It's some hard weeds. to get them out of the, out of the ground. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I want to mention, Ashley, is I saw on Facebook an advertisement for a tool it's sort of got a grabber on one end of it, a long handle that you grab the grab the weed and pull, and somehow it pulls the weed out of the ground. I saw that, too, and you don't have to yeah, bend over yeah, or yeah. anything. It's it just sure twists it, around it. Have. I want to know, does it work or not? Sometimes. <laughs> How's that? Okay. It works great if the soil is soft. It works terribly if the soil is hard. Mm. Because it just rips off the top of the weed it's like a dandelion that has that taproot. The dandelion will come straight back out from the taproot, and you will not control it at all just by ripping the leaves off. So these grabber, catcher, pullers, yankers, whatever you call them, if it's in the spring, yeah, I wouldn't mind using one. But in the fall, when the ground is hard, or not so effective then, but it's worth considering anyway. And for certain weeds, too, like you mentioned, a creeping cucumber, you know, that we really saw prevalent a few weeks ago. Wow, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, wild strawberry and all that. I mean, it would be great for that because you're able to do a twisting motion with this pole. And for some of the uh, weeds that spread, those would just be yanked right up and twisted around the pole and out they come. Yeah, well, that's what my kids do. They start on the creepy, creeping cucumber at one end and wrap it around their forearms. That's how they get the creeping cucumber under control is to wrap it up. And the puller might be a good tool for doing that. Talk about how some of these fall weeds that we're seeing, maybe some leftover from summertime, but fall weeds, how a lot of them are multiplied, how they even come to be. They come from seeds, most of them. Some of them, like violets, for instance, come from the roots. Dandelions come from the roots. They spread by underground roots. It's good to point out that if you have a broadleaf weed, and I think you and I both know, but we'll mention it to the audience, a broadleaf weed is one that looks something, anything other than a grass. Mm-hmm. If it's other than a grass, it is a broadleaf weed. And broadleaf weeds are wonderful to tr- control in the fall because they are sort of going dormant. And as they go dormant, they pull down off the leaf any chemicals, any nutrients, anything they find in their leaf. And so if you spray for broadleaf weeds in the fall, you get much better control of them now than you do in the spring. So this is a great time to control the broadleaf weeds like violets. That's a great one to get get rid of. We'll soon have the chickweed that'll be out germinating right now, as a um, matter of fact. Right. And uh, henbit is coming up and germinate too. Some of these can be preventative with pre-emergent chemicals. We mentioned that earlier this fall. But if they're there and have not been controlled, now it's time to spray for them or pull them either one. And one of the popular uh, grassy weeds that I posted not too long ago on the on the Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB, I, I continuously talk about that Weed of the Week photo album and try to post a new weed every Tuesday or Wednesday. And one that got yeah. the most traction was a grassy weed. I think it's in the sedge family. And it was Kylinga. 
and it's you talk annual about calendar. it comes up from seed every year yeah yep, and, and you talk about trying to be effective and pulling something like that out like yanking it out i mean i did have ian comment on that and said well wait just a minute you got to make sure you get all the i don't know if rhizomes uh-huh. is the right word uh-huh. but exactly all the, the parts yep. yes from underground out or else it's going to keep coming back and there's also nut sedge. It looks the same, pretty much the same as Kylinga. Kylinga is a sort of short, three inches, four inches, maybe high, whereas the yellow and purple nut sedge can be 10 to 12 to 14 maybe inches high. And the yellow and purple nut sedge are terribly hard to control. They are really, really hard to get rid of. One of the things, actually, that I think is important to realize about identifying grasses, you know, you have your good grasses, fescue and St. Augustine, Bermuda and all, mm-hmm. but you also have pest grasses. And really, it is hard to identify a grass without seeing the seed heads. Broadleaf weeds, pretty easily, I know what they are by looking at the, at the leaf. But a grass, I almost always require looking at the seed head. Look for the seed head coming up in eh, midsummer on, and you'll see the seed head on Bermuda lawns, the seed head on Zoysia lawns, and you'll see the seed head of Dallas grass, goosegrass, and the rest. Very easy to, to diagnose what the weed is if you have the seed head. By the way, I have pictures of all those Ooh. at WalterReeves.com. Now, if we go, and I'm doing that right now, to WalterReeves.com, what should we type in the search bar to see the different? Grassy weed identification. Weeds with pictures. Weeds with pictures will get you a good page, too. Yep, I found it right away. Grassy weeds of summer. So at least yeah, that gives you good. what the seed heads look like. Now, one that you mentioned <clears throat> that I've been asked about is Dallas grass and Dallas yeah. grass control. Why is that one so difficult? Because the dang thing is perennial. Mr. Dallas, this is a real guy. It's named for Mr. Dallas from where? LaGrange, I think it was. Oh. He introduced it to the United States as a forage grass for cows. It grows really, really well in the southeast. And he thought, man, it's perennial. It grows real well down here. It takes the heat real nicely. We call it Dallas grass. It distributes the seed everywhere around. And eventually we found out that cows don't prefer it as much as they do fescue and some other grasses. And now you have all this Dallas grass in pastures and now in lawns, too, that you try your, devil, try your best to get out because it's a devilish weed to, to control. It's perennial. It spreads underground. It doesn't spread by seeds. Or it does spread by seeds, but pre emergence doesn't control it very well. So if you have Dallas grass, the easiest thing to do is to pull it out physically, take a shovel or a trowel and pull it out of the ground or kill it with Roundup if you want to do that. Grassy weeds, broadleaf weeds, right. and now let's talk about some climbing weeds or vining weeds that we may Ooh, encounter. Like poison ivy. You uh, my, my friend poison ivy. Uh, when does that die poison. off? That's soon, I hope, right? Yeah, let's see. When the first frost comes, the poison ivy will change color. And that is what is good. Actually, we have to say that for everything in nature, mosquitoes, rattlesnakes, Dallas grass, all of them actually have a role in nature. And poison ivy's role in nature is, one, to feed the birds because they have berries. The birds eat it and load it. That's how it's spread around the landscape. And number two, for us to enjoy the color of a poison ivy vine on a tree is pretty outstanding. Orange, Mm. yellow, and really, really attractive. I still don't like it. You're not selling me on it. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) When does it bury? This time of year in the middle of October? No. Yeah. Well, yeah, you see them now, maybe a little bit earlier than now. The little white berries, little clusters of white berries Mm. up and down the vine. Yeah. Ooh, I haven't gotten that close. And I do notice (laughs) when it starts coming out in the spring, I notice it right away as everything's starting to, to... you know, take on new leaves and all that. Poison ivy is definitely identifiable because in the beginning yeah. of the spring as well, the leaves are 
like a bright red, like a shiny red, and they're small, yeah. and they just continue to get bigger and bigger until they're full and green. Mm, Another yeah. thing that's interesting to me about poison ivy is that the vine, as it goes up the tree, has those little rootlets, little hole fast that tie it to the tree bark to support it as it goes up. And once the leaves have fallen off in November or December, the only way then that you can identify it is by that thick, hairy vine with all the little hole fast yes. that hold it to the tree. And so if you're in the in the woods, cutting firewood or cutting down a tree in the backyard, and you see that vine, hairy vine on your tree, you might treat it with a lot of caution. There's not many other vines that look like that. If it's hairy, it probably is poison ivy, one you don't want to touch because the oil is, is active all the time. The oil that's so reactive on your skin is, is reactive all the time throughout the year. January to December. God, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't touched it yet this year, but I was just always under the assumption <laughs> the oil was on the leaves, no? No, no, oh. it's in the fat too. Blah. So there is no safe time of year for poison ivy, says Walter. That is very disappointing <laughs> to me. But what was not disappointing, Walter, was this discussion. This was a great discussion on giving folks the confidence to treat and to know the difference, really, between yeah. broadleaf and grassy weeds. And there's hope you can you can be doing it now. Pull it or spray it or do whatever you do. Get ahead of weeds. If you don't get ahead of weeds, they will get ahead of you. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, thanks so much for stopping by. And, of course, we will uh, talk to you next Saturday, too. I will look forward once again, Ashley. And if you have a topic that you want Walter and I to get a little more in-depth about, why don't you shoot me a message on the Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB. That's all you got to search on Facebook, Green and Growing WSB. We love going in-depth about things, and he's teaching me, he's teaching y'all. We're learning together about, you know, things that are seasonal and things that are happening around us. I think it's so funny. Uh, last weekend, we talked about fall caterpillars, and many of you probably heard he said their favorite thing to do is poop. They live up in the trees, and that's what they do. And that's what you are finding in your driveway. Maybe he falls in your coffee. Oh, my God. And I saw a lot of you out at an event last weekend, and you're like, thanks a lot for ruining my breakfast. Didn't know you and Walter were going to talk about that. So you just never know what you're going to hear on the show. And I will admit that I make mistakes as well. So I have this Weed of the Week photo album on the Facebook page when you go to photos and this album. So I try to post every the beginning of every week a new weed and identify it, tell you how to treat it, manage it. And uh, I make mistakes identifying stuff, okay? So I don't delete that. I keep it up there. So I posted a picture of what I thought was chamber bitter, mimosa weed. And, uh, you know, I mean, it looked like it to me. And uh, Walter's like, no, no, no. It's actually uh, like a different mimosa. It's creeping mimosa. And then Shannon Pable, a friend of the show, is actually like, no, no, no. It's actually wild sensitive plant. So you can see the discussion there. We're going to go back and forth about what this weed that I spotted is. But nevertheless, there's a lot that are identified properly. Um, that you can actually kind of reference there. And if you have something you need identified in the lawn too, like I told Teresa, I think she's got burrweed, but that's not really a problem till the spring, a follower on Facebook. So I said, Teresa, take a picture of it in the spring, send it to me and let me use it. And we'll, we'll all kind of learn about it together. So coming up in just a few minutes after the break, Seth Hawkins of Forrester with the Georgia Forestry Commission. He's going to help us out with the Georgia Leaf Watch 2020, something to look forward to and get into fall with the family. So stay tuned. We'll be back with that on 95.5 WSB.
Welcome back to Green Growing, almost 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning. I'm really fortunate to have this special segment for the entire month of October with the Georgia Forestry Commission falling into fall and some information you want to know about leaf change and leaf color. I've got Seth Hawkins with me with the Georgia Forestry Commission. Good morning, Seth. Hey, Ashley. How are you this morning? I am doing fine, and I am excited. We're getting deeper and deeper into October, and that means fall color. That means leaf change. And I guess we can attribute that to, like, the sunny days that we've had and the cooler nights, right? Yeah, yeah. So we've had um, really ideal weather to build up to a nice fall color season. Hopefully it all comes to fruition and we get our, quote, peak, you know, our our most vivid times of color. But, yeah, those nice, warm, sunny days and, uh, you know, cooler, calm nights are um, perfect weather for it. And tell me the difference, Seth, for folks that it may not have dawned on, the difference in the changes of elevations. You know, it seems that we see the color at higher elevations first rather than places, say, below 3,000 feet. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but, you know, there's definitely, um, as elevation goes up, you get a more an earlier fall color change and sometimes a more vivid fall color change. Um, that's just kind of attributed to, again, those cooler temperatures at night. Depending on the slope or aspect of where you're at in the higher elevations, um, you know, short, shorter daylight hours due to topography could play a role in that as well. But uh, it's mostly this, the decreased temperatures at night just kind of drives that. And so you get the higher elevations and you get usually more an earlier color. And if we were to make plans for this weekend, I know it's supposed to be rainy, but even early in the next week, where are some of the best spots that we should hit up now? Over in the northeast part of the state, our foresters said, um, you know, up around Brasstown Bald, it's really starting to um, starting to spread and, and the color patches are starting to spread out more. They've kind of increased that to about 30% of the wow. foliage is starting to change up above 3,000 feet. But up around Brasstown Bald, um, Highway 76 between Helen and Hawassi was recommended as a beautiful drive. It always is, but apparently right now even more so. And also um, Highway 180 over near um, Hogpen Gap as well. Over in the northwest part of the state, our foresters said, um, look out Mountain, Cloudland Canyon area, Mountain Cove Farms is um, really starting to spread more. And Fort Mountain starting to show a lot more color expression in the last week as well. And the elevations of those 3,000 feet in the next probably week to 10 days, we can ex- expect to start getting into real peak below 3,000 feet. Uh, it might be more like the last week of October or so. And you've sent me some beautiful pictures, which I've also shared on Facebook. If folks search Green and Growing WSB on Facebook, they'll see some of the pictures that, that Seth is going to be sharing with me each week for this segment. And I want to ask, you know, I mentioned this may be a, a rainy weekend to go make that drive, but are the rains that are coming in from Hurricane Delta, how is that going to affect what we see as far as leaf color and just the volume of leaves still on the trees? Hopefully it doesn't have a lot of impact at all, um, but we are kind of concerned when you get those heavy winds and rains, especially when the leaves kind of abscised from the stem, but not quite all the way. Um, that could cause some premature leaf drop, which would kind of cut off the leaf color change process. So. And if you're picturing any of this leaf change in your area in Georgia, use hashtag GA Leaf Watch on social media. Seth, I hate to cut you off, but we got to go. We're going to take a break and we'll be back with Lance Walheim, author and garden expert at BioAdvance, taking your calls about any kind of uh, garden solutions you may need in the next hour. Stay tuned on WSB. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.